0: If your investments are not boring, you are doing it wrong. Oh, but only this is to say only if you're in it to actually earn, right? Earn yeah. a return. <laughs> yeah. If you're in it, to, if you're in it to just cause chaos, then by all means, just do whatever you want. You know. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 296 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer.
1: I'm Adam and I have noodles for arms. I'm Sam and I have regular arms for arms. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games
0: industry. Today is January 29th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. Warning. There's gonna be profanity in this show, and also probably some weird stuff. So if you're not into either of those things, then you know you can just scoot, scoot on out. Yeah. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at MoneyGrab.BScotch.Net for uh, thanks for their recurring donations to help us keep our pod our pod lights on.
1: It's nice. This is nice. Should we have a new, uh, speaking of dunking on everyone? Should we have a new like end of podcast like very end sort of short segment that's like dunks? What? What dunks what have we dunked? What has our community what, dunked? What dunks what dunks have dunked?
0: Well, I want to hear about what our what our community has dunked yeah. through through the website. But we don't have a dunks section. We only have a questions mm, section.
1: That's, point. Mm. that's a good point. You don't want to I'll, question the dunk necessarily. No,
0: yeah. a dunk is never a question. It's a dunk. Yeah.
1: It's an so, exclamation point, if anything. If it was a yeah. yeah. punctuation.
0: So we'll have to maybe do some, some website refactoring, allow the community to funnel, funnel some dunks in. We'll see. Uh, but I want to talk, talk about what everybody's talking about this week, which is the GameStop short
1: squeeze. <laughs> Yeah, sort of that crazy. sounds very basebally. That thing that you just said, it really does. It sounds okay. like playing some money, Bobby. Yeah, I think the, mm-hmm. the if you're paying attention to, I think any news, it's anywhere, everywhere. yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, I think it's happening right now. So, so Seth's got a, a nice finance background. You know, knows some shit. So we're gonna have a little explainer. We're
0: gonna have this. a little explainer because okay, you know, if you're looking at this thing, all you can really say for sure is like a lot of a lot of uh, hedge fund billionaires have just suddenly lost a bunch of money. We know that.
1: They know might a lot only of, be billionaires now, or maybe only... <laughs> they might only be
0: 100 millionaires yeah. now, and now so, their life is destroyed. Uh, yeah. We know that a bunch of, a bunch of uh, people on Reddit made a bunch of money, and we know that the price of GameStop stock has gone through the roof, seemingly inexplicably, right? So those are like the basics, but let's talk about what really happened behind mm-hmm. the scenes. How do, how does this happen? Okay. So so as as you may have heard the mantra of like buying and selling stuff in the stock market, people say like buy low, sell high, right? You want to buy something when it's cheap? And sell it when it's expensive. That way, you you make a bunch of money.
1: Yeah, right? you can't do that on purpose. That's that's rule number one of the stock market, though.
0: Right, which is why the safest way to engage with the stock market is to buy an index fund, wait thirty years because it's probably gone up by then. Yep. Then sell it because <laughs> uh, that's your you know in the long term things sort of on average go up yeah. in the whole stock
1: market. You so, can't time the market. That is.
0: Rule. There's just, just
1: if there's only one rule you ever know about the stock market, it's don't fucking try to time it. Just don't, don't try it. So the reason
0: we say buy low, sell high is because you need to buy something before
1: you can sell it. Yeah. Right. That's why we say it in that order. Yeah. And buy it it when it's cheap and then you sell it when it's not cheap, then you make some money. Then you make some money.
0: Right. So it stands to reason that if you flipped this around, that the logic still holds, which is, Sell high, buy low, mm. right? You're still making money in that case. The problem is, how do you sell something that you don't have? Mm. Normally, you would have to buy it first, right? Well, this is where short selling
1: comes in. Is this what right? you refer to as a financial instrument? Sort of, yeah. Like the Glockenspiel of the financial yeah. trade. Yeah. Uh, so, so
0: let's say, let's say there's a stock that's currently a hundred bucks, and I think that tomorrow it's going to be like $10. I think the price is going to just collapse, right? So this would be like a sell high, buy low situation because I think the price is going to go down. I know that Sam has a share of this stock. Mm, and, I'm like, and I'm like, hey, Sam, can, can, I, can I borrow a share from you today? And I will give you a share tomorrow, okay? So I'm going to borrow your share. I'm going to sell it for 100 bucks, Gonna wait a day, buy back. a share back for ten bucks, and give Sam his share back. So, you made so I just, I just made ninety bucks. I sold high and I bought low. Right? Do you have
1: right. to actually ask Sam for permission, or can you if you're if you're a rich person, do you just get to do this? I think you just kind of get to do this. Yeah, that's, my, that's my understanding. <laughs> uh, too. I yeah.
0: The thing is, like, I don't know the the mechanics of actually engaging in a short sale because I don't do it because it's a really dumb thing to do. And here's. Yeah. We're going to talk about how and why. That's okay. number two takeaway. Don't short sell anything don't, ever. Don't do this because here's the thing. If you buy a stock, you can only lose 100% of your money. That's the most money you can lose. The,
1: the money you use to buy the stock. Yeah. So not, if you, not the rest of your money, just the money yeah. to buy the stock.
0: So if you buy a share of uh, Netflix for like 500 bucks and the price goes down to zero, you've lost 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. You, you can't lose $50,000 – because you bought a $500 share of Netflix. You can, lose, you can only lose the amount that you spent. The problem with short selling is, is if the price goes up, I still owe Sam his share.
1: And it's due, right? Like you have to, you have gotta, to give yeah, me a share back. I got to gotta give you a share back.
0: I'm under contract to, to do that, right? So if, I, if I'm like, oh, I think the price is going to be $10 tomorrow. Hey, Sam, can I borrow your share? And I'll give you a share tomorrow. So I sell his. Sh- I s- I borrow it. I sell it for a hundred bucks. Tomorrow it's a thousand dollars,
1: and you and have like, to buy it back.
0: And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this is a really bad situation. I gotta. And then and now I'm thinking, I I should try to do this. I should get him his share early. Like I, this price is going up so fast. I need to get the hell out of here. I need to get out of this deal. Right. So maybe I see the prices shooting through the roof. And I'm scrambling to buy a share to get out of this contract and give Sam his share back, right? But what if there's no share to buy? Yeah. You know? Well yeah. So well there there's always shares to buy because there's a you know, it's a huge pool of supply mm-hmm. and demand. The problem is if lots of people are doing this, then the price keeps going up because, because more and more intensifies. Yeah, because more and more people who short sold a share get caught in this in this problem of like, oh no, this
1: price is going up too fast. I have to get out of my shorts. Also, robots, <laughs> robots are doing this right to, to some degree, which means they're doing it on a millisecond time scale and they're, ra- and they're very rapidly driving these things. And yeah. then all the human people are trying to also like, catch up to what the robots yeah. are doing. And then the robots, because their robots are pitted against each other for you know, different firms and, and so there's on. A lot of,
0: there's a lot of self-reinforcing systems at play. So what happened then with this GameStop thing is GameStop stock was being heavily shorted by large-scale hedge funds. To the point where 140% of the outstanding shares were shorted. And so, now, you, might be, yeah, now you so, might be looking at that and you're like, that seems weird. How can right? you short more than there is? Is it because
1: okay. you take – if like you sell it – so you borrow mine and then someone else borrows it from you? Is that how that works?
0: No, no. Because I – so I borrow your share, right? Mm-hmm. Then I sold it to somebody. That person has a share, right? Mm-hmm. And I could just borrow that share back from them and sell it again. Well, I could borrow it again and sell it again, right? So it's like, it's like a dollar bill. It's like a commodity. So if, if there's like a thousand bucks in the bank, right, the bank can loan that money to somebody and that person can just put it right back in the bank again. Now there's $2,000 in the bank. Right. How is that possible? Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's just a multiplier effect that happens with, with lending, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in theory, there's actually no limit to the percentage of shares that could be shorted. Like it it could have been fifty thousand percent of GameStop
1: shares were shorted. Like, you know, that's that is mm-hmm. possible. It would be real bad. But basically uh, anytime you're above hundred percent, then you have this situation where you could you can have demand that literally completely eclipses the supply.
0: Because yeah. what happens then is
1: so this or just is so anytime it's high, because if you need to, be able to buy anytime it's high, yeah, it doesn't do to be it doesn't have to be past hundred percent. It's just if it's high enough that it's actually hard to buy the shares. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So, so what ended up happening with GameStop was a few folks on this uh, subreddit called Wall Street Bets picked up on the fact that GameStop stock was being really heavily shorted, and they were like, "If we can induce a short squeeze, then it will send the price of GameStop stock just through the roof, while all of these hedge fund managers will just lose billions of dollars." Right? So. How do you induce a short squeeze? Well, you just make the price go up. So if you can get enough people to all buy, the, buy shares of this stock, then the price goes up because that's just, that's just what happens. It's a supply and demand thing, right? So all these people on the subreddit just descended onto this stock, bought millions and millions of shares collectively, which sent the, the price up by you know 100%, 150%. But then the short sellers started panicking. Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, fuck, the price is going up. I got to get out of this deal. So they start buying shares so they can give their shares back to the people they borrowed them from,
1: right? Now the price is really
0: going up. Now the price is really going up even faster, and then even more short sellers are like, oh, no. No, I'm losing a lot of money too. And so then they start buying shares, and pretty soon you create this feedback loop. Then the thing hits the news. Now you have regular everyday people who are seeing this, and they're like, I want to get out of this. So they start buying shares.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So pretty soon –
0: yeah, well, so so then what happens is you've got uh so this this goes on for a couple of days. And then companies like Robinhood and Ameritrade and and companies that allow people to uh buy and sell shares of stock and stuff, regular people. They just they just turned off the tap. They just said, "Hey, our users can't buy GameStop shares anymore." And this is a big this is a big question mark. Yeah, I think, I think
1: today Robinhood turned it back on after – After the price backlash. of GameStop dropped then by like
0: 75% from its peak, mm-hmm. um, which it, – like it peaked like – and then they turned it off and then suddenly the price just started going back down, right? So now the, now the sort of like political fallout of this is now regulators are coming in. You know, mm-hmm. Because the SEC –
1: didn't tell them to do that, right? Because the SEC is the one who's supposed to say, they're the ones who step in if things are getting Mm -hmm. off the rails in a way that they're like, ooh, this is actually bad for whatever. Which still means bad for billionaires, is what the SEC is. But
0: even then, I mean, the the SEC has there's breakers in place in case the entire stock market collapses right which is what we saw back in the like the beginning of the covid days right mm-hmm. like suddenly the entire stock market drops by like 20% in a day and it's like okay you know what we're just going to stop trading on the entire exchange you know for like the day or for for some hours while the panic subsides right but normally they wouldn't do that for a single Stock company, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because there have been so many times where, and we could think about like the, the 2008 crisis, where like suddenly a bank just their shares go from a $100 to a share to 10 cents a share. And like that's very volatile. That's a big problem, right? But nobody stepped in and said, hey, nobody can trade these shares anymore because of reasons. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that's just what the shares are selling for now. So big deal. Um, So for whatever reason, uh, Ameritrade, Robinhood, a few other uh, companies that
1: do this, they just stopped letting their users buy these shares. And now there's... And and when you say for whatever reason, you mean because they have a very creepy... I don't know if you read into the the details of their relationship mm -hmm. to like the hedge funds and these things, but it's very fucked up and gross. And so... Yeah, Robinhood is basically owned by one of the... Big capital yeah. firm. Well, right? and apparently, the and so I don't know if this is, ex- is how if this is exactly true because you know everybody's everybody's just saying stuff, and so it's hard to know. But but supposedly, <laughs> and so are we. Then <laughs> so are we. But, but yeah, according to some rando on the internet, because uh, this is the thing that grossed me out. And I was like, oh, I need to rethink some things because uh, I, have, I have an Ameritrade account. But they were talking about Robinhood because Robinhood's whole thing is that they don't charge you, a regular person, when you make a trade. Usually, there's a commission on a trade of like. Seven bucks or some percent or whatever it, right? uh, and and so Robin Hood's thing is like, hey, we don't do that. You're just the everyday investor. You can come in and you can buy sell, blah, and it's all fine. Um, but the the reality is that it still costs them, right? They yeah. still like they still have to pay something every time a, a, a trade is made. And so the question is, and you always have to ask the question is who's, who's paying? Who for pays? That, yeah. Right? And so apparently. Again, according to some random on the internet, but I can, I can see it making sense because somebody has to be paying, right? What, what Robinhood actually does is uh, is they basically sell information to these big you know, institutional firms, right? Uh, so that when you, the regular person, say, oh, I'm going to go buy some game stock. Game, 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 stock, game stock. stock. Yeah, whatever that, <laughs> can't put the words together. So I'm going to go buy some of that stock, right? Then uh, they sell that fact. As information, right? So, like, they have a they have a contract with somebody that says, like, you will uh, anytime someone's buying a stock, we will let you know. And so then that firm can and immediately, and that firm, and they just is all done by robots, right? That firm can then buy the stock first, right? So, and then in doing that, they raise its price a little bit, and then they sell it to the person who tried to buy it. And so that that little difference there that they're doing instantly on every single purchase that gets made uh, is essentially now every regular person just paying a slight tax, right mm-hmm. on. On every trade that they make, by making every every stock more expensive for them to buy, which is invisible—you don't see it happening, right? And that's how they. I like, so, so I read that and I was like, "That sounds it extremely is they, they plausible." It, yeah. That and, well, yeah.
0: This is this is flash trading. This is what this is where yep. the uh, automated robots uh, making instantaneous trades in, in microseconds to capitalize on small, like one cent fluctuations. You know, yep. uh, that's where that comes in. So. So now, kind of where this thing has all landed is is a lot of hedge funds lost a ton of money uh, some number of regular everyday people made a ton of money
1: so and then presumably also lost a ton of money depending on what they were quite doing a few exactly. probably
0: also lost a ton of money, depending on you know when you when you got in on this thing if you got in on it um, and now there's a bunch of regulators coming in saying, "Well, this is clearly flown off the rails." Uh, we have to figure out what to do about this. Um, and there's also a lot of concern now about, about companies like Ameritrade and Robinhood just getting to arbitrarily cut off access to the market from everyday people in order to protect uh, large hedge funds that are shorting
1: things. Billionaires, basically.
0: Yeah. 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 Because the, the thinking here, and which I, which I agree with, is that shorting a company is actually a huge problem. Like It's it's a hugely problematic thing to do because it it can accelerate the demise of a company by pushing the, sh- the share price down because if it's heavily shorted, people can look at that and be like, oh, yeah, it looks like nobody has confidence in this company. I'm going to sell my shares, right? Mm-hmm. And so it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so that can be a problem. Um, it makes it harder for the company to raise money then by issuing new shares or whatever, and then it can't get out. Of it, also, it also
1: incentivizes in. some some fuckery, right? Because if, if you can cause a company if you can cause bad to things go. to happen, yeah. and then short a company, then, then you you've now made it. On it.
0: Yeah, so it's it's like it's that way of making lots of money off of other people's misfortune is yeah. basically. Yeah. Well, what well, the there are some arguments like. <laughs> on the other
1: side though, that I think are interesting too, which is like if if somebody thinks that basically the market's full of shit or somebody's full of shit when they you know the, when the stock price just does not reflect the reality of what the company is doing right then the, there's a logic there of like you can also say this is a mechanism to sort of control for these sorts of of problems in the market. but I, I think I don't quite buy that because of the fact just just over the over stuff. time that happens anyway. yeah right, that's so what sure. yeah
0: that, that, that's supposed to be part of just yeah the normal buying and selling, which is like the share price will go down if people mm-hmm. don't have confidence in it and it will go up if they do
1: you know yeah, to uh, me the biggest yeah, problem it, is that is the fact that because of this infinite scalability issue, where if you've if you shorted a stock and then the pr- the price now just goes up and up and up and up and up, um, and you have to you give up, those shares back yeah, then, then this fact that you can that you can lose essentially you know, basically you can lose money.
0: more money than you have. so actually there was there was one yeah. um, firm, one hedge hedge fund firm that that lost almost all of their money and two other firms came in and, and just gave them three billion dollars to cover their losses mm-hmm. <laughs> just, yeah. now, now like that that kind of access is not available to you as like an everyday person right you, no. oh dang I just lost three billion dollars <laughs> that dang, I didn't I have the
1: entire economy now I just yeah. get to
0: It's okay. It's okay. I've got friends. They'll just come in. So what's
1: fascinating about this though is that the turnaround now is that so this was it was sort of an amusing thing that was happening, and then as soon as this Robin Hood and this Ameritrade thing happened, where they stopped people from being able to trade, then it suddenly took on a whole other form, where it went from they being kind of mind a, everybody that, you know... Yes. Yeah.
0: As George Carlin said, there's a big club, and you ain't in it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it caused actually now this, almost like this populist, just swell into that Wall Street bets thing, where people don't give a fuck about actually making any money. Yeah, yeah they're there, just they're rich people. Yeah.
0: They're so just there to cause hate. Because the thing heaven. is, if you're,
1: if you're buying these shares right now, you're essentially causing... These mutual funds to lose money, right? Yeah. There, so yeah, there, were, there were people on, on, uh, <laughs> on that subreddit just like posting. They're like, they're like, look, they like, they'd bought like literally thousands of dollars of the stock or tens of thousands even. And they're like looking at their portfolio and showing it like it's gone up by, you know, basically 10x or whatever. And so there's just, they're just like sitting on a potential, because of course it's just all on paper, right? But they're sitting on a potential like hundreds of thousands of dollars if they were to sell these stocks. And they're just like, nope, I'm just going to hold on to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wild so it's uh it's a whole rodeo out there, and it's very i mean I've, I've been enjoying watching the coverage of it, and especially watching the the financial, the general financial sector respond to it because they've been of course who do they invite on, which is hedge fund managers, some of these billionaires and stuff and they're so mad mm-hmm. and they think the whole time I'm thinking about it, i'm like watching these people, and I'm like everyone's just going to be really happy that you're so mad. So like, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like you showing up and being like, Oh, this is bullshit. When you have a billion dollars. No, I, okay,
0: I don't so. know, as a, as a CFA, this is, this is something that drives me up the wall because you see these, these people who are supposed to be sophisticated fin- financial managers, right? they come in and they're, and they're come in here and they're like, these people have artificially inflated the price of this stock far beyond what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who That's not based a
1: based on based That's on what? Thing. Every stock, stock prices are imaginary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every stock price is artificial and it's purely dictated by, by supply and demand. And, yeah. So buy, well,
1: it's not even that, it's buying and selling behavior is what dictates yeah,
0: it. So so game stock price is supposed to be four hundred dollars right now because of the fact that so many people are shorting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Like it it the price is what it's supposed to be always because that's what it is. It's not supposed to be anything. It's supposed to be just whatever it is. (laughs) So the idea that like that you have a lot of a lot of people coming in with with models saying basically like the price of a share is supposed to be reflective of the fundamentals of the business that underlies the share. The problem is why? Why would that be true? Then there's no reason that that would have to be true. And if you look at something like Tesla stock, Tesla stock is worth I think the the next five automakers combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? In terms of their market cap, but they don't outperform those companies at all.
1: Not even so, I think do they outperform any of them?
0: I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and the fact is people like people like Tesla well, it's it's just just they like owning the
1: stock, and like, and owning the stock yeah. is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. To it's be like, like well, I think it's true. It's true of all stuff. the big players. It's true of like because I think I have like I have like one share of of a handful of the expensive companies, you know, stocks, and yeah, I only have it because I'm into the idea of having like a share of that stock. Right? Be mm-hmm.
0: like, ooh, I own some Google. That's kind of yeah. Because cool, my <laughs> bet is my
1: my bet is that most of these things are gonna that are they're gonna collapse at some point because like. They're or, so far outpaced. But I mean, it might not, because again, it's or, all or imaginary. Yeah, because happen.
0: yeah, because the fact is that it the way that I think about it now is the price of a share largely just reflects how firmly implanted in the in the public's consciousness that company is. Yeah. So as long as people like and care about Netflix, Netflix shares will keep going up. Mm-hmm. Yep. As long as people like Tesla. The shares will keep going up, um, and if at a certain point people stop liking those things, and the shares share will go down, and it yeah. won't really matter whether or not those companies are making more or less money than they were before, because that's not what stocks are
1: anymore. It's a barometer <laughs> for popularity only. It is, yeah,
0: it is. It's also the case that actually, there's a lot of other um, companies that were shorted similarly, not not quite as heavily as GameStop, but like you could have picked any of these companies. But they're boring companies. Like there's one that's like, oh yeah, we're a real estate holdings company and we're, we we they have like a 70% shorting uh uh short rate, right? It's like, why did why did why did the people from Reddit pick GameStop as the company that they because were the do this overlap
1: to? between that subreddit and then like gamers is basically 100%. It's, it's
0: basically 100%. They're like, yeah, GameStop. I know GameStop. That's cool. It would be hilarious if we <laughs> used GameStop yeah. to do this, right? So, yeah, uh it's I, I think what you're seeing now is this like tectonic shift between generations of, of like finance anarchists yeah. and traditional finance people. Uh, who, and the tradition, the traditional models are saying like things are supposed to mean stuff. And the new people coming in are like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing means anything. I'm just going to buy some stuff. Well, uh, and then that's it.
1: So anyways, uh yeah. it was a bit well, of a, i think I think we should end that with some some not I think advice is too strong of a word because you know we don't want to be responsible for anything that happens to you financially, but we can say, what do we do like what are the guidelines that we follow? i think it's I think it's fair to give advice in this case because sure, yeah. because well, there's some things that we should definitely not be doing I think that's we can, yeah
0: because, because the yeah. advice is is about what not to do, which yeah. is to say um it's easy to look at this stuff and say, ah." Oh, I'm going to get in on the next one and try to like find the next thing and jump on it. And you can't time the market.
1: That's still rule number one.
0: Yeah. You can't time the market. Some people will accidentally uh, make a bunch of money and they will post those things on subreddits and on Twitter and stuff like, look how much money I made. That's just survivorship bias at its core, Mm -hmm. because for every one person posting that another hundred people lost tons of money. Right. So uh, it's still the case. That the best investment strategy is the most boring one. Yeah, investments should be boring. It if should your be boring. If are not boring, you are doing it wrong. Oh, but only this is to say only if you're in it to actually earn right earn yeah. a return. Yeah. If you're in it, to, if you're in it to just cause chaos, then by all means, just do whatever you or want. Or <laughs> as, as a gambler,
1: if you're in it as a gambler, just to like basically play the lottery. Then you know it can be exciting at that. Yeah. point too. Just but know just, that. That's, the house always wins. Yeah, it's just yeah. same as same as gambling or lottery in all cases. Yeah, yeah. Generally, uh, if you're so, participating in anything like this, where it's supposed to be a timely thing, then you have to you have to be a hundred percent willing and able to just not care that the money is actually gone as soon as you put yeah. it into that stock. Yeah, only yeah. day trade if you're willing to lose all your money. That's lose the, all, yeah. <laughs> so all the money you invest, or unless you're short selling, in, in which case, literally all, all of your money. money. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the strategy is just just. Diversify in your investments, uh, or buy pre-diversified things like a like an index fund or an ETF or whatever, and that just tracks the stock market as a whole. And then just wait thirty years, and then yep. you're
1: done. Now, yep, congratulations, I do. you invested. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I've bought i bought two. So so all of the money that I've invested is in two index funds. One that's sort of a higher risk; it's a tech technology, you know. So it's just like a sector of the economy, a sector because you can buy them a sector of the economy. And then one yeah. basically just tracks like whatever the top 500 companies or whatever. And like, they just keep on underneath the hood. They're just like buying and reselling to make sure it's kind of following the stock market. Right. Uh, and I have those. And then I've just like bought a handful of stocks that just seemed like they would be fun to have. You know, that's what like also with, my, the,
0: with the full realization that, that,
1: you know, that those, those ones risky. might be gone. Yeah, exactly. It yeah, might just go away. Uh, so most of like almost everything I've put in has been into those index funds. And and then and, and the next time I invest, it will be back into those funds again or into a different index fund, right, that yep. has a different kind of sector of the, of the yeah, economy. Yeah,
0: because you could also do like international index funds, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's diversify and wait. is kind of like the the golden yeah. rule of actual investing. Super boring. You're not going to find a lot of people posting on Twitter about how they like waited 30 years <laughs> on a boring index fund and like look at the return they got, yeah. you know. Uh, but that's that's what it is. Yeah. But uh, but talk-
1: the, the best guess is that for – because of course like the economy is made up, right? Stock market is fake. All this stuff is fake and it depends like in the next 30 years, anything could happen, right? Uh, and so yeah. So the, so we're all making an assumption here, which is that things will continue roughly as they always have, which isn't guaranteed but might be true, right? And if it's true, then what you see for things like index funds is like on average, so you're getting like a 6% return every year. But it's compounding interest, Right. And so So that's good. Start now, wait 30 years. Like, it almost doesn't matter how much you put in there, you get a lot back Mm -hmm. in 30 years.
0: Yep. Uh, All right. Let's talk about some studio news. As much as I love talking finance, which I actually do love talking finance. I mean, this story is just
1: too good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Studio news. We got a few things. One Crashlands launched on Xbox today, the day we're recording this podcast, uh, the 29th. So I'm particularly proud of this one because it was quite smooth. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, getting the game onto Xbox, uh, going through cert and all that stuff. We actually took the lessons we learned from Level Head and the tech we developed for Level Head, and we just rolled it right into Crashlands and just like boom, no problem, no problem at all. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but it was, I'm this is this is one of those you know it's one of our early dunks. Of twenty twenty one, I we forgot just, we were
1: launching Crashlands on Xbox today. I completely yeah. forgot, I forget the whole week it was going to happen on Friday. This whole week, obviously, right? It was so uh, smooth for us that boom! I'd, just yeah, forgot about I'd, it. I didn't every single <laughs> day. I had, I just didn't remember what was going to happen. And then this morning, even uh, all of a sudden, Sampada put a in the chat. She's like, "Oh, here's a screenshot of like it's live on Xbox, at least on the web, right?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, we're launching Crashlands on oh, Xbox yeah, today. That's <laughs> happened." Yeah. So yeah, I think that's I mean, that's basically yeah. basically the goal for us now is like we shouldn't nothing should be like it's the same thing as the the mutual fund it's like this should just be very standard it should be launching boring. a game should be boring if you did it yeah. right. <laughs> and so but i think what's what's also funny about it as far as the emotional registry part of this too which is that you know i think it might be because even when we launch a single game we're actually launching it each time on like three to six to seven platforms at once um so we basically, we've, we've actually done this a lot more than it seems like we have in terms of just total, like we have basically level head and crashes are the two big games we have, right? But in total, the total number of stores they're on, like the total number of individual store launches that have been managed through that is actually basically seven times two, right? So it's like 14 store launches, right? Yeah. And I think the thing that's weird about it is once you get into that scale, then it does very much lose that like just the, kind of the internal hype and like oh my god we're launching an Xbox like bah! you know yeah, well, like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually an important thing to to talk about too because most of what you hear about in the like indie indie games and stuff is like oh how do you how do you launch your first game like how do you deal with the the bad stuff how do you like how does all this stuff work right because uh, your goal of course is to get to the point where stuff is boring because it's working well you know mm-hmm. like you got systems in place uh, your, things aren't on fire you're not crunching. Uh, you you know enough about launching games that there aren't unanswered questions, there aren't surprises. Like you just you do the work, <laughs> the game comes out, people buy it or they don't. You they move on to the, the next game and you move on to the next one, right? Uh, and and there's there is an interesting consequence of this, which is uh, which I have been feeling lately, which is uh, you, you sort of the things that were really spectacular, sort of first times or big surprises, these, these moments, yeah. right, uh, are gone now. Right, so because yeah. you know, the the one that hit me the hardest, like the most important moment for this whole thing that we've been doing, was when we launched Crashlands. You know, six, five, five years five six five, five four, years ago. Five years ago, we launched Crashlands five years ago, and we we'd never we you know our our relationships with all the stores was still weak. Right, we uh, had never launched on Steam before. Steam was like the that was the platform that like. I didn't grow up on because it wasn't there when I was a kid, right? But my more formative gaming years, which were in high school and college, were really informed by by Steam. Um, and then we got you know like got up that morning, and then we had the pop up. You know, it's so like mm-hmm. we we boot up Steam, the pop up. There were like four games in it or whatever. And ours was it might have even been the first one. I can't remember, but it was up there, right? And that was that thing where it was like, oh shit, like we we made it. You know, like we it made you feel feel made it, right? <laughs> And uh, and that was like that was the last time that happened because after that everything felt like because there were still very cool, very cool moments, but they didn't have that same level of impact. And now, but now we've had that because now we feel like we've like we had a game on Switch for the first time, right? We've we on on had Nintendo all- HQ and like you were yeah. Nintendo HQ. We've had all these really cool things that have happened, but every subsequent one didn't feel nearly as good as it ought to. As have. the first,
0: well, as the first. I mean, it's always, it's, first all about first. it's all about firsts. It's all about firsts. You know, the first time. The first time you do something big, the first time you achieve something, um, you you can never you can
1: never replicate that. No, and it's yeah, there's, it's a, there's easy a reason to why this be like a bummer, right? And so I think this is this is an important thing to talk about is like that actually isn't kind of an okay. That's an okay. This this is basically a midlife crisis, is what it is, right? This this is a, yeah. a midlife crisis is the same thing. It's when a midlife like,
0: <laughs> crisis is you're like, am I done seeing and doing yeah. new things now? The, yeah. <laughs> the,
1: the, the core question to a midlife crisis is: Is this it? Right, and uh, and and your goal, and this is and this is the wild thing, right? Your goal in life is to reach that point because that means things are stable. You've kind of got to figure it out, right? Uh, it's the same as running a company. At some point, the question you're going to be asking is, "Is this all?" You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then once you hit that point, the question is, "Okay, well, that's great. That's where you want to be because that means you've got stability." But as human beings, our brains crave instability. Novelty. Actually, they they crave novelty, well, which is instability. Stability is boring as fuck. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, a, it's an interesting problem. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think you know if you this morning I woke up and I was like oh yeah we're launching an Xbox so I just go over to the Xbox turn it on check and see if the game's there it's not in the dash yet like on their featured things yet but I'm like oh, it'll come later whereas it'll <laughs> literally literally in pre like the first yeah. time we launched on anything I've always been like refreshing constantly yeah, we're if panicking, we're I don't see we're it checking, yeah right. yep if I don't see it by 9 a.m. I'm like Sending seven emails to various platforms. Yeah. people. I'm like, Where the and we're fuck watching is it, our you know? stats, you know. So like, we got whatever stats we have available. We're just like, well, they're up. We're like, watching it happen live. Like, mm-hmm. refreshing those numbers. Like, tr- trying to see if what's happening. And yeah, this time we're just like, well, just, well next week we'll look at we'll look at our dashboard and yep. see like, did anybody download us? You know? very funny thing happened on on Monday, which is we thought there was a bug in the co op, the local co op in, in Crashlands, which is oh, sort yeah. of like a. It's sort of like a. That's just a fun extra feature that we put in when we did the switch launch back way back when. Uh, But it's, you know, it's featured in our trailer that we have on the store page and stuff. And so we had the sudden, like, essentially this, oh, shit, like, is it actually broken for the launch on Xbox? Because that would be bad. And it was really interesting seeing the different reactions across the team. Because, so Sampi, this is her first, so she's been handling most of the materials for this launch, right? And so her response was pretty high gain, which was like, oh, no, like we have to fix this. It's in the trailer, like, fuck, you know? Um, And then I think... Like my response was literally, it's fine. It doesn't matter. We'll just, if we can fix it, we'll fix it. Otherwise, don't even worry about it because you yeah, can't do that. And my anything and my, right, my <laughs> response was we. I know we can do something about it because I know how fast we can turn around. So yep. I was like, so the first thing we should do today is that. But like without panic, it was just oh, we have to fix that. But yep. So let's do that. Yeah, the emotional. Yeah, my gains yeah, my, just- my,
0: my thinking. I just kind of ran the numbers where I was like, well, I mean, we know that like a percent of our people. Of our players even play co-op, anyways. Exactly. So it's not a highly demanded feature, so it's hardly going to hit anybody. And we yeah. can we can patch it today, send it out, get through cert. We could probably have that through cert by by launch day,
1: anyways. And if know, we don't, like, it'll <laughs> be a few days late. And then by then, probably nobody would have actually tried co-op. Nobody right
0: would have noticed. It's fine. You know, and if we'll they did, it, and on
1: the PR hard. side, it's a news beat that you can apologize for. So it's great. Yeah. You know? yeah. Just, I mean,
0: if, if we've learned anything from No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk, it's that you know launching with a the gaping hole in the middle of your game is actually a plus when it comes to the, <laughs> the press. There's continued uh,
1: news coverage for days. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah, you kind of you kind of hit these. Every, everything seems to matter a lot, you know, when you're doing stuff for the first time because you you haven't seen it happen enough to really get a mental model of what how it fits. Panic and what doesn't yeah. warrant panic.
1: <laughs> you, know, you move from like from the position of of having hopes about what will happen, right? to having expectations of what will happen, right? So like, because mm-hmm. yeah, with the Steam yeah. launch, we're like, oh my God, it'd be so amazing if we got the feature, we got all this kind of stuff, right? And then now, like, we've lined everything up, we've, d- we've done everything that we can with our control, we've talked to all the people on the platforms, and we're like, and we got to the point where, you know, self-righteously even, we like, we're like, yeah, we should be getting these feature spots. And now, And now, instead of being like, Excited when they appear. We're now angry if they don't. Right? That's,
0: that's a very <laughs> t- <a, a>, <laughs> well, different it's thing. Well, it's disappointed. I would. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You do change your framing from from one of where where you you can't have positive experiences. You can only have like neutral to negative ones. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Like e- either things meet expectations or you're disappointed. As opposed to yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it still absolutely is the case. Like the the most exciting that for me anyway that this work has ever been. Was when we were when I was when we were not paying ourselves at all, right? And we were yoloing games out the door, having no idea <laughs> what we were doing, and like yep. uh, you know, the games were were you know, they, they weren't QA tested. Like they were you know, they were just like we just did we just got a game made and just squirted it out into the store. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and then like and then like and then and then a few of the times we did that, like something really surprising happened, and. Uh, you know, and then culminating with the launch of Crashlands on Steam. Uh and that was like that was the most like fun and exciting all this was. And it was when we and we were crunching. We were like we had no idea what we were doing and it was all pure chaos. It was stressful, you know. But bec- all of our like, de- dev practices were just horrible, yeah. <laughs> So and, and but it wasn't boring, right? That was the thing. And yeah. so, so it is it is this it's this like really interesting trap that you can fall into. Of especially looking back, because at the time it was very stressful, right? And it's it's more fun looking back than it was being in at it. The time, right? <laughs> yeah, though it also was fun at the time. Uh, but it's it's that it's that craving of novelty that causes people to to worship the chaos and worship the crunch and all of this kind of stuff. And I think the question is is how do you get to that point where it is boring now, but still find a way to to find joy in it and actually have mm-hmm. a good time? Yeah, which That's what I don't have like. Well, I mean, even, even stuff like, uh, you know, gratitude practices and things like that, which are yeah. simple reframings of just stuff that happened to you that day. It's so like the fact that, that we're launching on Xbox and it's so relaxed is so good, you know? Yeah. It's so well, amazing. So it's taking a, yeah, taking actually a moment to recognize and celebrate the fact that it happened because – because uh, cause like, identifying that as an achievement, right, yeah, <laughs> and, and saying explicitly so that even though it is boring because the fact that it's an achievement was caused by shit you did six months ago, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and that's why it's boring, right? And so, now you're just hanging out.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's yeah. the
1: fact that it's boring is the thing to find a way to celebrate. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Isn't it yeah. great how boring this is? <laughs> um, well, the, so there are things you can do. You know, one of, the, one of the things we're doing with, with Crashlands 2 is, you know, we're trying lots of new development practices, Sam's using a bunch of new tools, and that's all fun. But also this weekend, we're doing our Be Bad at Stuff jam. Mm-hmm. So the, the Global Game Jam is happening now. Uh, I think they're actually doing it for like a week because of COVID stuff. Oh, cool. Um, so it's kind of like, take 48 hours, but, you know, just kind of throughout this week, Um so uh, we're we're doing a jam this weekend as well. Don't know if we're gonna do it as like the global game jam or just do our own thing. But, we're just doing <laughs> our own thing. But uh, Adam's gonna be doing a bunch of uh, work to rebuild the blog on the website. Yeah, which would be cool. Uh, Sam and I are going to make a Unity game in 3D. So I haven't touched Unity in eight years. No, nine
1: years. Nine years. I made a hideous bunny face in Blender. I think two years ago. So I'm pretty much I'm ready to go. You know,
0: Sam has has glanced at Blender. So uh, so this is kind of a uh, we're going to try to make something that could vaguely be called a game like experience mm-hmm. with some three with some 3D models in it. Uh, mm-hmm. So so uh, we're going to just do that for fun. You know, just play around with it with some other tech and just uh, see what happens there. And some, some, uh, the other members of the team are going to be doing some of their own jam stuff as well. Um, so yeah, it should be a pretty good time. We're not, we're not aiming to make anything good. We're just aiming to well, have I fun and
1: specific. Well, that. Adam is. Yeah. yeah. But be, I'm, I'm taking this opportunity to do something that I've, I've wanted, like our, our, our blog infrastructure on our website is built on top of the same system that we use for people to share levels of level head. Right. <laughs> okay. so, I mean, it's all the same. It's, it's all the same. When you think about it. Yeah, yeah, so it's all the same. And the reason it's all the same is because I made, a, a long time ago, I was like, what is sort of the most common kind of way we need to handle things and what kind of features would that need to be able to handle lots of use cases? And so, hence, this generic storage system was born. Uh, it has a few sort of caveats, though, which is like, it's, it's designed for optimizing for storage costs and, and that sort of thing, which means that if I want to do something like do a full-text search, literally impossible cannot be done with this with this system right it also means that i want to have like very clear specified fields that all behave a certain way like an author field and a uh a canonical you whatever if i have a handful of fields that like really mean something very specific that i want to be able to operate on uh i have to construct them out of generic components right In like this very weird way and uh and then it's just confusing as far Fuck to use it. It is so confusing to then use it because the data is just all weird. It's just weirdly formatted. So, so the number one thing though is like I want to be able to do a search. I want to be able to go to, to our blog, have a search bar, and be like uh Crashlands Manual as for mm. as an example, right? And then find the Crashlands Manual. Right now, you know what I have to do when I want to find the Crashlands Manual? So first of all, I keep on fucking up our SEO, so I can't Google search it. it doesn't show up. <laughs> so which I, i'm pretty sure I fixed at this point, but I thought i fixed it on numerous occasions so what I, so literally what I do is I, is I go to our sitemap URL, which is a big XML document that describes every single page that exists on the website right and I do a control f for for Crashlands, right and there aren 't that many things that show up, and so then I just look for the one that says manual on it right or do a search for manual so what right? I do I go to my gmail that's and how I search URL. for Crashlands manual and then use the Email link that you get when you sign up, <laughs> right? Which now so, that you're like, mentioning clearly, this, I'm like this is yeah, it's bad. It is a <laughs> system, and the only reason we put up with it is because like we haven't used the, we haven't like really anchored ourselves in the blog that much, actually. Yeah, uh, but as part of my new you know thing for this year, trying to just write a lot more and, and blog a lot more, and then build this newsletter and all this stuff. Uh, I was like, "This is this is just untenable now. I, I hate this. I want, I want to get this fixed." Um, so that's what I'm doing this weekend because it doesn't have to be done strictly. Like that, it doesn't serve the studio's priorities, you know, whatever. So it's a perfect game jam <laughs> thing. It'll be fun. It'll satisfy a, a deep sense of horror that I've had now for uh, a <laughs> year and a half. Uh, so, well, yeah. this
0: also kind of stems from uh, Adam's got his new dev chat. Thing um, mm-hmm. which has started up, so it's a new newsletter that's basically for a lot of these more involved uh, technical topics. Uh, we want to talk about them. We want to talk about them in a way that that does them justice and that mm-hmm. sort of demonstrates our enthusiasm about those things.
1: But doesn't always make for great radio. Doesn't always yeah. make for great YouTube it videos. Often doesn't, in fact. And also, um, there's you know, there's like, I want to get like really, I want to get deep into some cool TypeScript trick that I found. And one thing. And then talk about like hmm, how do you how do you think about how you price your game in another right like those are really disparate kinds of and both going deep right and so those are such disparate kinds of topics it's like how do we we can't do yeah. that on a podcast that doesn't make so, any sense
0: so we thought you know what fuck it we'll just we'll have a a new place which is this dev chat newsletter where just anything in depth about making games or doing web dev or working on tech or doing business, like whatever it is, stuff that we feel like we've learned enough about that it would be worth sharing. Um, uh, then we can just share that stuff. And so that newsletter is up and running and yep. those are also being posted through the blog system as well. Um, and also Adam wrote up a, a article about piracy as one of the first things, which ended mm-hmm. up on gamesindustry.biz on the front yep. page of that. So that was cool. Uh, how do people get into the newsletter? It's just tinybs.co slash dev chat slash dev chat. So mm-hmm. right now we're keeping this thing a bit small, but it's, so th- that's how you find it. There's no like place on the website where you could just like yeah. get into it. So it's basically limited to our podcast people for now um, while it sort of, gains some, some content shape mm-hmm. yeah gain some content um and then we'll be sort of making it a little bit more visible and easier to find and sort through and stuff on the website so
1: yep so but the plan is to do it weekly the the first one already went out uh last week i guess as you're listening to this the second one will have gone out because it's going out on mondays um and so you'll, you'll be able to see the backlogs uh and and uh, just get some get some fun weird stuff
0: yeah and we thought you know It'll be one of those things where you'll be able to look at the headline, and sometimes you'll be like, "Whoa, that's exactly the thing I wanted to know about." And other times, mm-hmm. you look at the headlines and be like, "I don't know what this even is," and <laughs> skip it. And that's also totally fine.
1: Uh, yeah. So they could, actually, so far, it's, the plan is to have each one be kind of a grab bag. Um, so I kind of have roughed out what the what the next one's going to be, and it's like it's all over the fucking place. Uh, so I'll probably put a little table of contents at the top, so you can decide like yeah. for any of these things that I'm into. Uh, <laughs> And you can go from there. Yeah.
0: But. So our goal is, yeah, talk about stuff that we care about, but make it so that uh, our readers can opt out, you know, mm-hmm. of
1: certain things if it's not. And try to have domain. something for everybody, you know. Yeah. If you're, so I think if, you, if you're into the podcast and then uh, and want just to go be able to be, go deeper on the various topics that we talk about, then this is a good it's a good place to get that. A good place to do it. Uh, all right, let's get on to some
0: questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, head on over there and uh, dunk it in the bucket. So I will say that probably because we answer only like one or two questions per episode, and because our questions auto-delete after a period of time, uh, our, our pool of questions is shrinking. So, yeah. so definitely hop in there, get in there. Ask whatever you want, whatever you want to know about. Drop us some questions. Uh, all right, first question If you ever from, wanted
1: one answer, this is the time because you're, you have way less competition. Than yeah. The,
0: yeah, less competition. Although now, just like GameStop stock, you know, just because – We're going to get a short it. squeeze on
1: podcast questions. We're <laughs> going to a short
0: squeeze and suddenly there's going to be 50,000 questions. Uh, top question comes from Fraser who says, over the years – Y'all have mentioned evolving towards a sleek, minimalist work experience, fancy standing desk, an all-black mechanical keyboard, removing windows from your OS, a crazy automated build server, etc. Where has 2020 left this process? What does your setup look like, and do you have any ideas for what your next step on this journey will be? Mm. Cheers, and thanks for all the pause. This is directed at Adam specifically.
1: It does kind of sound that way, mm-hmm. but I think the, the, the short of it is that the enslickening uh, had to continue – over 2020, because everything had to happen over the internet, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, I think there's there's a truth here, which is that the surface sort of impact is isn't in slugging, but in order to get it to work, the complexity of the things that are sort of invisible also has gone way up. Yeah, right. So, because like a build pipeline, yeah. Once you have it, you just click a button. Then a thing appears and like and that's it, right? But uh, but putting that together and then making it good, right? And making it and making it resistant to crashing and all this kind of stuff. Like there's an, an enormous amount of complexity that that builds up that infrastructure. So it is the case that in 2020 we invested a fuckload into all of our infrastructure for for everything, um, and the payoff has been great just in like the normal moment to moment work experience and. Uh, and actually, I'm very excited for 2021 in particular because of the fact that we decided to do multiplayer for Crashlands. Uh, questions to you. Um, then that means that my time suddenly became way more flexible to do things. Uh, and then also because we're sort of done launching stuff, you know, kind of for the moment, because we got past that thing where we launched, relaunched every game with a new version of Game Maker, got crash into an Xbox, like all that kind of stuff. Got, got
0: rumpus into everything. Got rumpus into
1: everything. We just we did so much. And then we, of course, that was right after yeah, we of Levelhead, right? Yeah. yeah, we're kind of in this like little nice little grace period where we'll still be updating the games to make sure that they don't disintegrate. We'll still be doing some bug fixes periodically and all that stuff. So we'll keep the engines running, but the maintenance and, and costs are now very, very low. So both me and sure, who are the people who build this stuff for the studio, suddenly just kind of have some slack where we can do stuff. So I'm very excited about this year. Just just making these things so automatic that it's almost offensive, you know, like where mm-hmm. it's, it's slick, it's beautiful. There are robots talking to robots and just the human intervention component is basically zero. And then when it comes in, it's easy when we do need to intervene to add features or fix something or whatever, that it's also easy, you know? So, so I'm very it's, excited about what this year. It's already be. been very fun because I have, you know, we have this, uh, some of the automated pipeline stuff on the art side, happening already that adam had hooked up for uh, handling flip studio paint exports and we already ran into a couple things with that that were either a little bit confusing or required me to switch even literally having to put things in two different folders when i exported them you know what i got time for that so uh last Who has week, time for two folders you got time for that it's not slick <laughs> i don't need yeah. to be making decisions on where to put stuff just put it just and put so it. yeah adam last week uh got this thing all Tuned up. So now basically, I can put everything in one place. And then on top of that, now it has a robotic watcher who just keeps an eye on it. So I used to have to go over and manually hit a button to make everything get all cleaned up for import. And now it just does it. Mm-hmm. So you just, you just turn it on and then you just do your work. And it's that's the yeah, whole It's the real whole good. Loop? Yeah. Real good. Yeah. But this is the kind of stuff like now, now once. Once we're past launches, and once we're past uh, really intense uh, development work of trying to figure out how do we do multiplayer, you know that kind of stuff—stuff stuff that's extremely costly and that requires all of our time—and we can't take away from because that's because when you're when you're because the product, of course, is the thing we sell. So if we're not making our product, like any any time that takes away from that and doesn't obviously add back in just as much, right, uh, is then not high leverage. So we don't do it. Um, so so I'm just yeah I'm, I'm very excited about the culmination of this year and what, what sure. And I will be putting together. Um, we've worked like, we've already at sure has been working on a test suite for game maker. That's already like, he's basically, he's put a whole like two weeks into it now, which he never would have even had time to do for the past three years. Right. Uh, and, and it's awesome already. And it's, but that's just the first step and probably a, like a multi-month long process of using that to have this whole cool automated, pipeline we've been talking about, where when GameMaker releases a new version of their engine, that that just triggers. Like, the fact that they did that, we don't even know, but the fact that they did that mm-hmm. triggers this whole process, wherein our automated test suite gets run, it creates a report for us, it alerts us to any things that have broken. Hell, i will uh, probably send Yo-Yo an email and be like, hey, probably Yo-Yo that Yo-Yo oh, yeah, exactly. it'll probably send <laughs> Yo-Yo an automatic email being like, hey, these are really important bugs for us and how we do things, like, we need these addressed. Uh, it, like it'll do that all of that stuff, and we don't even have to we don't have to be there. It'll just happen, you know. So this is the kind of stuff we're we'll doing this year. I'm very excited about it. Yeah,
0: and I will say too, one thing that I like about this new test suite is if you're using GameMaker 2.3, you'll notice whenever you compile, there's a little message in the console that says, "This is a Zeus project." Z- Zeus, mm-hmm. like the the Greek god Zeus, mm-hmm. god of thunder and lightning, um, and that was because Zeus was their internal code name for GameMaker 2.3 at the time that they were working on it. But they left that in the debugger, so it still always says that. So we've named our test suite Olympus. <laughs> cool. <laughs> because it's, it's where Zeus lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so, anyways, all right. Uh, next question comes from Chalosis, who says What is your single favorite part? About working on games. Mine, as a programmer, is collaborating with artists. Working mm. on games. Single favorite part about working on games. I think
1: uh, it's the parts that I don't, that I didn't plan for. So usually what this, what this comes down to is, uh, I guess my, my interactions probably with, with Seth on this, where I'll be like, so in Crash Land 2, for example, we want to have this some ranged combat. Surprise! Surprise! So, we're like, okay, we probably need to figure this out earlier rather than later because it could have all sorts of crazy ramifications. So, you know, Mike Seth, can you figure out how to make projectiles and get a, make make a gun for us? Says so like, okay, and then the shit that I see when the first time he deploys it is this like zany ass thing where you shoot a projectile out and then it just hovers there at like the end of its trajectory and then fires. It's like damage dealing thing and can blow up trees. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh-huh. that's the thing I like the most. It's like, is basically being surprised at either those sort of uh, emergent design things that, that show up um, or being like seeing it all come together, which probably it's probably actually sounds kind of similar to this answer of like, uh, you know, putting the programming and the art together. Cause I think that's, that's really where the game actually is. Right. It's like both of you doing your own thing individually. It sometimes it just feels like you're kind of like you know, paddling around. It's technically making progress, but who cares essentially. And then once you get it all woven together, then it's it's that sort of moment uh of things meeting that I, I think is is pretty special. So I definitely like that.
0: Yeah, for me, it's it's being part of a team that is constantly learning. Mm. Um I mean it's it's been truly incredible to see the kinds of things that, like, Adam has been able to do yeah. now compared to when we first started. Yeah. And and just the, the evolution of thinking. Um, it's been ridiculous to see how the art has shifted from – sometimes over the course of a single game. I mean, when we got to the end of Crashlands, Sam had to purposely – draw things worse Mm -hmm. because he had two more years of art practice under his belt at that point. And he knew that stuff from the early game just didn't look as good as what he could now make, but he Mm -hmm. still had to make things look consistent, right? Mm -hmm. So, Well, then
1: yeah, then we move into Levelhead where the animations are actual, like, animations, you know, which we didn't even have before. And then we move into, of course, nobody else has seen it yet, but Crashlands 2, which is now combining that with the view that you have that, you know, the top down view for Crashlands, And, uh, and like, yeah, so it's just, it, this stuff has been so cool that the progression of it to watch over time. Yeah.
0: And, and I mean, for, for everybody on the team, you know, sure joined the studio with no, no programming background. And we, we taught him to program or rather we made him teach himself. Well, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we didn't, we, oh, we didn't do a great job of assisting that process, but he got through it. Uh, And, uh, now he's, you know, he's doing all kinds of cool stuff with like developing this game maker test suite and we can put him on projects, localization for games and, uh, deployments and stuff. Um, we've got like Jordan developing this QA testing framework to make it so that we can just like, just send a game through platform cert and it'll just get through the first time. Mm -hmm. Nope. No questions asked, you know? And we've handed off tons of stuff to to Sampy on the marketing front and business front and stuff. And so, oh yeah, um, Sampi handled almost uh, all
1: the all of the marketing materials for the launch, and has been writing all this stuff, which is, yeah, I think, on on her side, probably the most astounding, like to her it's a piece of all, because coming in, one, she didn't really play with games that much, and the two, she definitely didn't write as like a form of expression in that sort of goofy way that we do. And so she does both of these things now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, like we, okay. we all started it at zero, you know, for, for all these things. Um, uh, in some cases we started at zero, like when we joined the studio, mm-hmm. but in other cases, maybe, you know, for, for me, it was like, I started uh, learning how to do game programming just like two years before we started the studio. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came in with a little bit, but still compared to where I am now, it was basically zero, yeah. uh, but it's just, it's just been super cool to, to be part of a group that's always pushing to try to get better and never satisfied with with you know where we're at.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think for me the part of, about for you know games um, specifically, which is similar, it's a, it's a related thing to what Seth is talking about, but it's the it's games has this interesting. So games for me, it's games as a business. So I'm I'm not interested in making games like specifically. Necessarily, and I think, but I think it's, to me, it's, it's the whole thing. It's, it's making games and then making games as a business because uh, because for this industry, you still have to sell, solve all the same problems you have to solve if you're making any kind of software, right? It's the same kind of engineering challenges, the same kind of delivery challenges, the same kind of marketing challenges, getting people to buy your stuff, it's all that kind of stuff, right? It's all there, and so that's that's a, that's a really interesting practical problem, right? Which is this is a real problem that you you're making a thing, you have to figure out how to sell it. And it's mirrored by all kinds of other stuff that's out there. And so you you can learn best practices. You can teach other people stuff that is applicable to them. You can take things from one domain of knowledge, bring it into yours and make use of it, which is all very cool. And so on the one hand, we're solving this, or we're working against this really huge set of very specific known problems other people are dealing with. And we have to solve those problems to have success. On the other hand, we get this huge amount of creative freedom where we get to invent our own problems, which is the game itself, right? So for the product, the product doesn't have to serve any specific purpose, unlike if you're making an app or a website or uh, any kind of other piece of software or just other products in general. Unless they're an entertainment product, it has to serve a super specific existing problem versus the problem of somebody being like, I'm bored, I want something fun to do, right? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) and the ways that you can make people have fun don't require there to be a pre-existing specific problem. It's just like, the, the problem is that they, in the moment, are looking for something that looks good and fun, right?
0: Yeah, oftentimes and, the,
1: the thing you give them is an interesting problem, actually, right? Yes, right. But the one that we <laughs> now have invented, right? Yep. And so, so to me, it's like it's a perfect blend of us getting to do whatever we want, the stuff that is creative and fun and just seems like it would be a good time, and still having to deal with these very – Interesting practical problems that also everybody else is dealing with. So it's it's, a, it's I think it, to me it's a perfect blend of this stuff where because as Seth has always said, no one needs the stuff that we make, right? No one needs it. Yep. Uh, and so <laughs> and, and that and that remarkably puts us into this really cool position where because nobody needs it, we got a lot of freedom. We have a lot of freedom, right? To kind of do whatever yeah. we want, but then because of the industry that it's in we also don't. And then that's, that's also, so now there's like, there's constraints everywhere in all these interesting ways. And, and so it ends up being very fun. And then because we're a cross platform and because the game has to be something that people want at the end of the day, right. Then we still are operating within constraints everywhere. It's just where the creativity gets to fall. Then is this very cool mix of disciplines and places where we can be creative places where we have to be problem solvers places where we have to do both at once. Um, it's just all, it's all very fun. Yeah. Well, I don't know if
0: that was the answers you were expecting, chelosis, but that's what we've got. So that's all the time we have for this week. We got a jam to do, so we got to get out of here.
1: Let's go. Let's go dunk. Yeah. Poorly. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's go uh, Like get our way to the hoop trip on our way to the hoop and then like smack your face on the ground as you trip over your own shoelace. What I'm going to do I'm it's gonna be one of those dunks. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Koster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the discord, a way for you to donate and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.